In so many ways, the COVID-19 pandemic has been devastating to the health and health care of our nation. Yet it has also forced us to pressure test some new ways of delivering care that may wind up providing a longer-term benefit to all of us as a result. Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guests today are Irvi Shah and Dr. Elizabeth Baca of Deloitte. Both Irvi and Elizabeth have been working on meeting some of the big opportunities in improving healthcare delivery that we have as a result of virtual care's growth during the pandemic. Join us as we talk through some of the issues most critical to improving the ways that care is delivered, especially to those that make that care more equitable for all Americans. Irvi and Elizabeth, thanks so much for being with us today on The Source. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here, Greg. Absolutely. Really looking forward to diving into this with you. Uh, You have such interesting backgrounds uh, and varied backgrounds that led you where you are today, but I'd love to start off hearing a little bit about how did you wind up being affiliated with the virtual health practice at Deloitte? Sure. So I can go first. Uh, This is Irvi. So I'm a, I'm a biomedical engineer by background, and through that work, I've you know, really had an interest in healthcare, as well as human experience and human-centered design. And so when I came into consulting about 14 years ago, I've always worked at the intersection of human experience and digital engagement. And so as uh, we at Deloitte have been thinking about virtual health and new models of care, um, I, you know, it made a lot of sense for me to um, you know, be tapped to to help build and, and lead our virtual health practice over the last several years. So it's a little bit about how I got involved in virtual health, and it's kind of what I've been living and breathing for the last several years, and particularly in the last year, it's been it's been quite interesting. Fantastic, thank you, Irvi. How about you, Elizabeth? Yeah, it's great, and I get to work with Irvi, which is really fun. Uh, so I am a physician by background, so I spent a number of years uh, practicing and teaching medicine. And it was specifically working with low-income populations. And I think, you know, striving towards really, so how do we support people to be their, their best health, to be the healthiest self that they can be? And thinking about the care models that we, we had in terms of what do we offer and how do we offer it? How do we meet the patient where they are? And so really got interested in thinking about technology and the future trends of health and how we can uh, really shift our systems to best support patients. And so not only is it, um, I think, a really great opportunity for our current state, there are a lot of potential and future applications for virtual health as we think about uh, changing the environment in the future. Outstanding. Thank you. I am. I know that probably every conversation that you have starts with, well, since the pandemic, Um, And so in order to be consistent with that, I'm going to start off this conversation by saying, well, since the pandemic, clearly there has been a radical shift in the way that people have experienced virtual care over the past year, right? These things that we thought were going to happen uh, over a period of a decade all of a sudden happened all at once to everybody. uh, And we're in a, a different paradigm now. I'm wondering... And, and I'm going to direct this first to you, Irvi, but as we think about how care has transformed and is continuing to transform, how, how do you see these precedents that we've established during the pandemic continuing, not continuing, evolving? Where, where do you see us going here? 
Absolutely. It's a, it's a great question and an important one because we're moving from a mode of reacting and creating opportunities to substitute what was happening in person um, to virtual environments because we had to, to a mode in which we are thinking about, hey, what worked well during the pandemic from a virtual health perspective? We can extend into the way that we operate and the way that we deliver care and manage health and well-being for our patients or our members or our customers. And so some of the things that we're seeing are around, you know, just first and foremost, this acknowledgement that there were some significant benefits to delivering care virtually, meeting individuals where they are in more convenient ways, where they were comfortable um, and, and creating that enhanced access to care. But also, um, you know, as we think about this going forward, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more virtual first models and a lot more questions around um, integrating virtual health thoughtfully into the care model, which, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from Elizabeth in terms of how to be really intentional about designing a care model that is really valuable and impactful for and appropriate for you know the patient or the member and, and thinking about virtual health as one of those tools or enablers in designing a care model that you know helps deliver the right care at the right level and through the right modality at the right time and um, one of the things that elizabeth and i actually just recently collaborated on was a point of view to start thinking about that kind of virtual health in a sustainable and transformative way and you know what are some of the steps to take and the considerations around building virtual health more naturally into the care model. So thinking about what are the types of care in which virtual can be an appropriate setting? You know, what's the complexity of that situation or that type of care you're trying to deliver? What's the purpose? What are you trying to get to um, in that particular encounter um, or appointment? And then, you know, as Elizabeth will probably talk about a lot more. What are some of the drivers of health of that individual, which may help you determine whether or not virtual is an appropriate setting or modality of, of care that you deliver? And I guess before we go there, I'm really curious, um, are there things that we saw or that you have seen through your work, through your research that you feel are unsustainable? Are there things that, that we sort of had to do during the pandemic that you don't see carrying through? Um, I, I'll start, and Elizabeth, I'd love your thoughts on this as well, but I think the, the one thing that I think is unsustainable is this blanket choice of it's either video or in person. I think sustainable because, um, you know, that again, it's, it's not an intentional way of delivering care or managing health or well-being. It's just a, a, a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, okay, well, maybe we can't do this in person, so let's just flip this to video rather than thinking about, maybe this doesn't need to be video. Maybe this can be an asynchronous encounter. Maybe this can actually be something where it's not a one-time encounter, but rather something where we should think about some more sustainable or consistent monitoring that can help with this particular situation or condition. No, that totally makes sense. And I want to hear your perspective on this too, Elizabeth, because I think one of the things that has been really tricky for organizations is to understand 
how can I do this as a part of my continuum of care rather than, as Irvi said, sort of a toggle between, okay, I can't get there in person, therefore, video visit. Talk to me about some of the things that, that you're seeing organizations deal with as they think about what does sustainable virtual model, what does a virtual sustainable model look like? Right. No, I think it's an excellent question. So one, I, I think there's a lot of translation between electronic health records and the transition. And I, I joke with everyone, Irvi's heard me say this a lot, but I joke that I was it was either a blessing or a curse that I was a part of like 10 electronic health record rollouts. It was just where I was <laughs> in my career when everything was going online. So so the good of that is that I've seen seen a lot of different ways of doing things and learned a lot of lessons along the way. And I think, you know, to your point, Greg, COVID has been an accelerant. So obviously a lot of, it's been a really hard year for, for everybody. And I'm hoping, I think part of the, the opportunity is how do we leverage the good things about it? And one of them was this acceleration towards virtual health. But to Irvi's point, a lot of it was like, okay, let's just like shift everything over. And that, you know, is, is, is very t- challenging. So I think there's this opportunity to step back and to start to separate out and really think about even from a care delivery perspective, right? So, um, and this is where it's, it's you know, there are some systems in place that probably will need to change. Some of the systems that, that, um, that systems were using beforehand that were really not intended for large scale virtual health and telehealth visits. And so I think there's that piece to, to be transitioning, to be more intentional about how that gets used. The other thing is is not just thinking about the, the physician. We often think about the physician as the first step in the journey, but we have medical assistants, we have nurse practitioners and physician's assistants and this whole other broader set of care team, not only the, the practitioners, but you know the nutritionist and the social worker. And so how do we really leverage um, virtual you know, practices to be able to bring them into this process as well? And so I think as we think about sustainability, it's, it's you know, and we heard this again, akin to EHR transitions was it ended up creating more work. And so I think as right. we think about this, making sure that we don't create more work, but we actually lessen the burden on the care providers and the patient from a patient centric design standpoint to um, get to a better end goal. And one of the things I've been curious about as we think about challenges is actually the brick and mortar places that exist, uh, medical practices, hospitals with equipment in them that cost a lot of money. Uh, do you see any potential resistance to, uh, you know, perhaps a more logical model based on the fact that we've got this stuff that we have to use? I, I can, I can um, take that as a, a first pass. I think that, um, there, there, that has, we actually, where we work, we were working with a client that was looking at that. And I think again, from like a optimization of resources, maybe it's that you're still using it and you can actually expand services, right? I don't think it needs to be that it's um, a win or lose. It could actually be a win-win depending on how it gets deployed. I think the other piece is as systems start to go towards more more patient-centric care, right? So what do we think about? And, you know, uh, it's like you you go in, you take time off work and you go, can you shift the hours? And maybe that's when virtual is, is, is able to be more accessible and someone can do those visits from home in the evening, right? Like, so I think it's, it's really re-envisioning how we think about some of the structures and institutions. Um, instead of trying to fit virtual into that, it's really reimagining what that would look like towards the future. Sure. And so when you talk about systems, 
you're talking broadly about systems, you know, scheduling, staffing, geographic location, uh, underlying technologies. It's the whole package. Yes. Fascinating. Okay. And I'm, I'm actually, I, let's talk a little bit about some of the specific work that you're doing. Well, maybe not the specific work you're doing, but what, what are you hearing from your clients in terms of how they are dealing with this issue and what kind of clients are we talking about? Are we talking about hospitals and health systems? Are we talking about medical practices? Are we talking about payers? Who, who are the people you're working with and what are some of the challenges they're facing as they're trying to reimagine care? I think the answer is uh, yes to all <laughs> uh, clients that you mentioned, Greg. Uh, you know, it's it's the traditional healthcare providers, but also payers, uh, pharma, medtech, retail. You know, there's a lot of big announcements and a lot of splash um, that's coming. You know, in the media that we're seeing in terms of um, maybe even non-traditional entrance into the healthcare space broadly, but then more specifically, um, non-traditional uh, organizations making big investments and strides in telemedicine or virtual health. And, you know, we can do a Google search on um, lots of different headlines that, that I'm sure people have been reading about, especially if, if we're interested in virtual health or telehealth. And so as we're talking to these organizations, you know, there isn't I think this is one of the challenges that a lot of organizations had, even pre-pandemic. There isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to what is the right virtual health investment that mm -hmm. you make. So for some organizations, that's just video visits. Others, it's really thinking about you know, chronic condition management because they're really focused on population health management. So different organizations have different priorities. And what we're seeing, um, you know, organizations think about as they think about, you know, building uh, a broader and more sustainable virtual health practice is figuring out what's worked well, particularly during the pandemic, but also just for their business and how they can utilize virtual health to support that sustainability and that continued growth and improvement in their overall strategic priority, whether that's, you know, again, particularly focusing on the health and well-being of, of a specific population or a type of service if you're thinking about a specialty care, tertiary quaternary care center. Um, you know, it just it kind of depends on, on you know, where your focus is, but, but being intentional about that and not saying we need to do virtual health because everybody's doing it. So I'm going to invest in video visits and condition management, remote monitoring and tele-ICU and all of the things that everybody talks about because they're all buzzwords. So that's one, area, that's one way. Another thing that we're seeing, and Elizabeth touched on this, and I'm going to harp on it a bit more around using the foundation of, of thinking about who it is that you're designing for, developing this for, putting that patient or that consumer or that member in the center, but also considering who is that care team that supports them and is around them, and how do you create a model that's sustainable and seamless in a clinician or a provider's workflow so that it's not, you know, six different places they need to go to deliver this type of care, but rather a very seamless and intuitive way of delivering care in a more effective and efficient way for them, but also that leads to better and more efficient out and better outcomes for their patients or members. So, so really starting to think about how you bring that together in order to create that sustainable model. And then 
you know, the third thing I'll say is around kind of building that foundation of capabilities or enablers that you can share across the organization. So, you know, as you move from in-person to virtual care delivery or, or health or well-being management, that's a different, fundamentally different way of delivering care. So thinking about training, thinking about, you know, again, I know I talked about the care model design, thinking about that experience, and then building some repeatable skills that can support different parts of an organization. So one part of the organization might, you know, need a different type of virtual visit. So maybe video visits works over here and remote patient monitoring works over there. But now you have this foundation of skills, capabilities, a department or an organization, part of the organization that's really dedicated to learning the ins and outs, the regulatory requirements around virtual health that can actually help support the different parts of the organization to build that some build something that's scalable and sustainable is something that we're seeing a lot of our clients think about and, and really implement. You know, this may be an unfair question, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there anyway, <laughs> because I'm curious about it. I'm making the assumption that most of your clients are probably inclined to be system thinkers relative to delivery of care, or else they wouldn't be talking to you in the first place. But I also wonder are there entities out there where, you know, for the last 15 years, there's been a telehealth department and the telehealth department sort of handles, you know, here's what vendor we're going to use to, for our video visits. Do you, do you get the sense that this idea about rethinking care delivery has been, is being accepted broadly among providers and payers or is it still sort of at the early adopter level that are really thinking about, hey, we actually have an opportunity to deliver care differently and better now? I, I would say, and, and I'll let Irby add to this as well, I think, I think that people are seeing the opportunity. I think that part of what is still outstanding is the regulatory environment in terms mm. of what is going to support this. So... I don't think it's a new concept to be thinking about this piece around care model change and redesign. I think it is going to ultimately, you know, one of the questions is even um, sustainability. And, and Irby mentioned it a little bit in thinking of, you know, are, are, are you doing a mix of visits? Are they virtual and in-person? Because there's, there's a whole lot of just provider kind of logistics that happen throughout the day. And so I think it's more, my sense is the, 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 the piece is waiting around um, the regulatory structure. But Irby, what do you think? I agree. And I also think that um, if you asked me this question two years ago, I would have had a different answer than I do now, which is I don't think that I, I don't think that the systems thinking is as unique as it may have been specific to virtual health um, two years ago, because you saw a lot of individual departments having budgets and going out and buying various disparate pieces of software to address this need or to, you know, dip their toes in the water around virtual, but it was inconsistent. And that's what we were seeing a lot of. And over the last two years or year and a half, the need for that system thinking has been magnified mm. uh, specifically around virtual health, uh, among other things. Um, and so I think that we're seeing that a lot more than we were a couple of years ago. Excellent. No, that's it's good to understand that. And it's good to know that 
the industry is is taking this seriously and moving forward apace and in terms of the way that they're thinking. I'd, I'd love to circle us back to something that we mentioned briefly uh, coming in, which is there's been an increasing amount of attention paid to health equity, uh, to the social determinants of health. A lot of equity-related issues were really sort of magnified uh, as we went through COVID. I guess I'm curious how you see virtual health, virtual care being able to potentially impact some of those issues related to health equity in the U.S. Yeah, no, that's a great, I mean, so Greg, you know, and it's really interesting because I think sometimes, and, and this again, to Irby's point, like I think a couple of years ago, you would have heard a lot of people saying, oh, we can't do that because there's not access to broadband and, you know, it's too hard. People don't have the phones or they don't have the data plan that allows them to do those kinds of visits. And those things largely are still very important considerations. But because everything was kind of pushed to this virtual model with COVID, I think it's um, put a lot of pressure on some of those assumptions. I think one of the other big pieces is that um, it's so really funny. I gave a talk to a venture capitalist was about six years ago. So it was probably a little bit before its time where my, my challenge to them was let's like what, cause the question was, how do we design digital health to be, to be successful? If we're going to, if we're going to really deliver on this promise of like, it's going to help us, we get to health and, you know, working in health equity for a number of years, I said, well, we need to design it for those that are least likely to use it and the ones that are most likely to have problems. And that's not really how things tend to get prototyped and designed, right? Right. And so, but the point was, is that if we're using this lens of intentionality, which Irving and I talked about in, in the paper we collaborated on, it's really flipping that. And so, you know, those things. And so design with those things in mind, right? So for instance, we were working with a client and one of the things that came up was the, um, having the translator come into the appointment, into this digital appointments, virtual health appointment was the technology was really causing some challenges. And if mm. you didn't think about it with that lens, you wouldn't really have that even on your radar screen. And so, you know, as you think about, about those pieces, it's, it's really like an opportunity. Same with the, the piece around access. So, you know, if you have to take off for your, your, your work, let's say you're working two jobs or you're a single mom and you have a lot of things that you've got to get done, it may mean that you keep deferring your hair because it's hard for you to get in. But if you can actually get that visit done in 15 minutes and it's really wonderful um, and meets your needs, then that's actually going to help with, with it. And the last piece I would say on that, and this is one where, again, it gets to the, the opportunities around redesign. We talk about data and big data a lot. Um, had a fascinating conversation with the CEO of a, of a company that does work around the, in the behavioral health space. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can actually start to use that data and think about how does this person do with this provider or what are some other measures that we want to be leveraging and so again i think it's not necessarily about yes the divide could always be you know worse if you're not intentional about it but we actually i think believe that you can have um, reduced disparities and more health equity from having a, a, a good and well uh, thought out system and i, I totally agree yeah please i'm just gonna one I, Completely agree. And I think one thing to add also is, you know, there's the data, there's also the opportunity to virtually be in someone's natural environment to really understand those drivers of health or determinants of health. What's going on around them? You know, are they in a safe space? Are they, do they have food security? 
Do they have support? Things that you can't really gauge in a in its truest sense in a physical appointment where they're outside of that comfort zone and their natural environment. Um, so, you know, there's something to be said about that. One of my friends is a pediatrician and, and she actually loves virtual visits because she's like, I can watch the child in their natural environment while I talk to the parent, I'm seeing what the child is doing and what milestones they may or may not be hitting. So this idea of, you know, being able to have that access and being able to reach out to individuals and where they are and meet them where they are, you know, it, we haven't necessarily tapped what all the opportunity there is, but, you know, there's definitely some significant opportunity to be had in terms of delivering more impactful and better care. So I love that example that you gave and you're right. It allows the clinician to be a a little bit of an ethnographer, as it were, seeing people in their normal patterns. And I wonder, have you seen your clients or others find a way to actually collect some of those insights? Because I would imagine, you know, an individual clinician, your friend, the pediatrician might see that. Is there a way that they have found to systematically collect those insights and use them as a part of their system thinking around care delivery? Or has it been kind of haphazard? What are you seeing out there? I I, I love that too, because we used to send residents into the homes. I haven't actually... I haven't seen anyone capturing that. Have you seen that, Irby? I haven't, not yet. We're going to add that to our list, Craig. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. And it it is, it's such a cool thing to think about doing. And, and, uh, you know, if you uh, are, are a process thinker, I'm imagining your head is automatically going to, ooh, we need to have a field in the medical record capture to make sure that we have notes on X, Y, and Z that we're observing uh, uh, anyway, sorry, I don't mean to take us off track there, but sometimes <laughs> I get too excited and I can't help it. No, that's um, a very good I, point. <laughs> I am really curious because there are these challenges that we have. Are there things, specific things that you see your clients doing to address these issues? Are they doing ethnographic research to understand their core patients better? If so, how? Are they using data differently? If so, how? What are some of the things you see people actually doing to be able to inform these big decisions that need to be made? Uh, so I can start. Um, yes, <laughs> there, there is absolutely. And I think Elizabeth actually hit it on the head earlier in that, um, you know, six years ago, we were really focused on the happy path, the most likely to adopt, the most likely to engage digitally or virtually. And you know, there isn't a day that goes by when I'm talking about virtual health that intentionality and, you know, access by design doesn't come up and making sure that as we're identifying use cases, priorities, focus areas, systems, whether they be technological or process driven, um, we're actually thinking about how do we make sure in the way that we're prioritizing this, that we aren't leaving an entire population behind? Or how do we start with the population that's least likely to adopt? Or the the population that has, you know, if we think about Medicaid and all of the requirements around, you know, what you can and cannot give Medicaid patients in terms of devices and, you know, and, and, 
actually solving for those really big complex issues first mm -hmm. saying if we can get this part right we can certainly get the part right about the you know 37 year old millennial who's super tech and has six iphones and ipad and you know three generations of airpods like that that's going to be just fine and we yeah. can we can design by with intention for that population as well but you know starting from the the lowest common denominator or the highest common denominator i guess the most complex yeah cases first um literally going into homes and testing ideas um you know testing devices so we had a a, a pilot that we were doing for congestive heart failure and um you know we were going to connect uh, patients with a bluetooth scale and what we learned in the process of actually doing the ethnographic research was the button to turn on the scale was really hard to see and really hard to to push and so you know just just things that you don't think about when you're rolling technology out that our clients and and you know the industry i think as a whole more broadly which is you know really promising um is really thinking about that much more intentionally now than i think ever before fantastic well I am so grateful to both of you for spending time with us here on The Source. I think the work you're doing is so important. And the fact that you're working in a place that allows you to have visibility into multiple uh, sectors within healthcare, I think is gonna be really valuable to everyone uh, in terms of connecting dots. So be sure to check our show notes. We're gonna have information there about how to connect to Irvi and Elizabeth and their team at Deloitte. Uh, as well as some of the work that they're doing. But uh, Irving and Elizabeth, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.